Good morning again to everybody. We are starting a new series today on holiness. Anybody feeling particularly holy this morning? Okay. Always. Okay. Why not? Holiness. Today we're going to be talking about a specific part of holiness here at the beginning of the, of the series. So we're going to start with the beginning of God's word with creation, which is why John was reading Genesis chapter 1 there, creation. It's God's greatest hymn, creation. Uh, he starts off saying, let there be light. He brings all these things into existence. And, and we know from reading the rest of the Bible that not only was God present, but Jesus is working there and the Holy Spirit is working there. All three are working together in this gigantic hymn of creation. It's a beautiful picture. But it's more than just what God did on day one or day two or day three or day four or day five or day six. It's more than just that. In, and maybe, maybe you're like me. I've, I've often looked at creation and looked at what he creates and how he creates and what he's creating on this day and that day and thinking when he gets to creating man, that's pretty much the ultimate, right? That's the pinnacle of creation. No. But I, I've thought that way before. You know, that's the best creation there. It's us. And, of course, we're the best, right? We're, we're smart creatures. God's given us the ability to think, to create all this stuff. We're better than the animals that he created. We're better than all the other stuff. It's, it's the pinnacle. But when I have that view of creation, I'm, I think I'm, I'm missing the whole purpose of creation. Man is a part of the creation. But the purpose of creation is ultimately to bring God glory. Amen. Period. Everything he creates is to bring glory to him. Even us. Do you know why God created man first and then woman? Well, he needed a rough draft before he made the actual thing. No. Boo. Uh-huh. I did that for the ladies so I don't get in trouble. Because I usually do the opposite, get in trouble with ladies. So, you're welcome. You're welcome. For a little while, at least. Yeah, until I open up my mouth again. But God created man in his image, and much more than just that. I mean, this is all for God's glory. If you want to follow me here, I'm going to look at two scriptures here and talk about God's glory in creation. Job chapter 38 is one of them, where I think God gives us an insight into creation as, as Job is, is struggling with what he's going through, and he's asked some questions, and God confronts Job here. And he shatters the silence that was before in, the, in this, this book here, and he starts asking him some questions. Verses 4 through 6, he asked Job, where were you? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who set its limits or its measurements? Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? Or what were its bases? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? And he continues to ask Job some questions that Job cannot obviously answer. And Well, he can't answer. It's, 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 it wasn't me. I, I wasn't there. You are the one. You are the Almighty. You are the one can, that can do this. You are the one that can do this. Only you. Isaiah chapter 66. Go over there really quickly. Isaiah 
Isaiah 66, the first two verses here, I think, also give us a clue about creation and the purpose of creation, not just to bring about me and you. Verses 1 and 2 there of Isaiah 66. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hands made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, who trembles at my word. So ultimately, creation is not man-centered, is it? It's God-centered. It's all about God. It's always been about God. It always will be about God, even creation. And although we look at God making man here in, in his image as maybe the, the pinnacle of his creation, what really the pinnacle of his creation is, is, is all of it together. It's not just man. It's not just woman. It's all for his glory. But so many times, you and I, man himself, wants to be in the center of everything, don't we? Think about this past week. Anybody want to be in the center of something this week that kind of got you in trouble? Maybe it didn't get you in trouble. Maybe, maybe, it, didn't, maybe it hasn't uh, got you in trouble yet. But maybe some argument, maybe something. I want to be the center of attention. I want the attention. Man has always wanted the attention. In fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, here as we look at creation just a little bit more here. What does he do after he creates all these things? My pages got messed up here. I think I set my Bible down wrong. After he creates all these things, what happens? Verse 24 of chapter 1, he says, Let the earth bring forth the living creatures after their kind. When you get down to chapter or verse 26, he says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, among, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created, his, created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. And God says, Be fruitful and multiply. He gives them all the instructions here. Verse 31, God sought all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. What does God do after he makes man here? He rests. He rests. He's made everything, right? He's, he's completed everything here. Morning and evening. Then you go down to chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The heavens were completed, the earth were completed, all their hosts. The seventh day God completed his work which he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and heaven. He rested from all of his work. But resting here is not just resting, right? Because what do you do when you rest? I know Ty likes energy drinks, even though he probably shouldn't drink them very often. Every once in a while, I, I, I let him have one. He, he likes energy drinks, and, and why does he even need them, right? He's a teenager. He's a, <laughs> older people need the energy that all the young kids have. But drinking these things are probably aren't going to do me any good. When I need energy, it's, I'm just out of luck. I'm going to need to take a nap or I'm going to need to go to bed. 
That's pretty much it. But God here, he needs a monster drink to get back to work, doesn't he? Because he's tired from all of his creation. He's tired from all of his work, so he needs to take a break. He needs to rest. But this resting is not that kind of resting. It's not that kind of resting. God, why would God need that kind of resting? I'm going to read you a couple of scriptures. I've got them printed in my, in my lesson here. If you want to turn to them, go ahead. The first one's in Exodus 31. Because this, this dwelling place, this resting here is, is, is part of this holiness and it's a part of the creation and it's a part of God's plan. It's not just stopping from work because God's tired. Exodus thirty-one seventeen, God says that about this seventh day, it's a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. Now, if you're turning your Bibles, go over to Isaiah again, chapter 40, and verse 28. Because here, Isaiah reiterates the fact that we all know that God doesn't really need to take a break. He doesn't need to have a day off. He doesn't need to drink a monster drink to get his, get his energy level back up so he can be God again. Isaiah forty twenty-eight says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He doesn't become weary or tired like us. He's not tired because he's done all of this amazing creation and created man and created woman and all of these other things and has given them instructions and is now sending them out to, to dwell in the garden and all of this. He's done with creation and now he is resting and dwelling with his creation. That's what that resting really is. He's, he's fellowshipping with his creation. He is now becoming one with his creation and fellowshipping with it. Look at verse 8 of chapter 3 of Genesis. This fellowshipping, this, this connection that he has with his creation that he's always wanted with his creation. He walks in the garden. Now, and I don't know exactly how this, this, this worked. I don't know exactly how this interaction between them worked. But for me, some, somehow, in, when, when you get to verse 8 after... Satan has come and he's tempted Eve and, and, and Adam has, has eaten and all of these things have happened. They've made the one thing that God said not to do happen here. Verse 8, they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, right? In the cool of the day. They hear him. That indicates to me that there is obviously something. They, there's some realization that this is God coming through the garden and they know enough to hide themselves. They know they've done wrong. How many times has he walked through the garden before? I don't know. How, what's the, the interaction between them before? I don't know. But there is something here that indicates to me that there's a relationship between these, between God and his creation. That they know enough that they've messed up, that they're going to hide themselves from the God who created them. They know that he's walking around. And they're not hiding because all of a sudden this is a brand new creature that's scaring them. They're hiding because they know they've done wrong. They're hiding because God is coming to say, what are you doing? And verse 9, when he, when he calls out to Adam, where are you? We, we've talked about that question before, that, that God has, has, from the beginning here, at least when, when the fall happens, God has always been calling out to man, where are you? Where are you? Not that he doesn't know where we are, because he does know where they are. But he's asking that as more of a reflection to, to make you think, and make Adam think, where am, we have, where am I? I'm hiding from you right now because 
I've made a mistake. I've sinned. Where am I? When he asks me that question, he's not, he's not actually wondering where I am. He's asking, you need to think about yourself, Robert. Where are you? You're not where you should be. You're not doing what you should be. You're not living how you should be. God made this place to dwell with man. He didn't make it so that man could be the center of the universe. He made it so that we could dwell with him. So that he could, the glory of his creation would bring him glory as he dwells with them, to walk with them, to talk with them, to have a relationship with them. And that hasn't changed since the beginning, has it? God has always wanted a relationship with you and me. He's always wanted our hearts. He's always wanted to be in our hearts, to dwell with us. Whether it be here in, the, in Eden, whether it be with Israel through the tabernacle and the way he dwelled with them, or whether it be now as his spirit dwells in us and we fellowship with him and we walk with him in the fellowship of his son. It's always been that same thing. God always wants to be with us. But what happens when man makes a mistake? God says, you want to be like me, right? You want to be like me? Okay, well, then be like me. I'm going to kick you out of the garden. And you get to work for what you eat. You get to, to labor intensively. You get to have more pain. You get to have everything here that, that will hopefully drive you back to me. I'm going to restructure the world that I made in order to show you how much I crave your relationship. How much I want to be a part of your life. That's how I'm going to restructure the world. I'm going to make it hurt so that you come back to me. I'm going to make pain so you come back to me. All of these things are to drive man back to him. Adam says, I want to govern myself. I don't agree with you that this is right or wrong. I'm going to make the decision here. And God says, okay, you make that decision. Now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to restructure everything so that you want to come back to me. I'm going to change it all. Man lives like he's the center of the universe. That's the opposite of holiness. Holiness is living with God in his creation and communing with him. Being with him in his creation. And God has wanted that from the very beginning. But we live like we're the center of the universe. John chapter 17. We've been there a couple times this last couple weeks. We've asked the question, why does God love us? Why does he put up with me? And like Bill has said to me a couple times these last couple weeks, he doesn't know why God puts up with him. Because... In reality, who would put up with us? Why would, why would anybody put up with us? We make mistakes. We hurt people's feelings. We're rude. We're, we're impatient. We're all of this. Why does God put up with us? John 17, 23 and 24. I should go back to 22. 22 through 24. As he's praying this, this, this high priestly prayer here, he says, And the glory which thou gave me, I've given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. Notice that glory again. I in them, and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that you sent me, and you love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, be with me where I am, in order that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you did love me before the foundation of the world. God made all of this to glorify him. Jesus is doing all of this to glorify God. He's praying this high priestly prayer and saying, I love them just like you loved me. I want them to be perfected in us so that they can glorify you. And they can glorify me with the glory that I had from the beginning. 
This is God's purpose, God's creation, God's holiness. This love between the Father and the Son is the reason He loves us so much and the reason that Jesus comes down to earth to draw us back to Him. That's all that holiness is. God has been saying from Genesis 3.8, actually 3.9, when He says, where are you? He's been saying, I want you back. I want you to come back to me. He's been saying that since Genesis 3.9, and he's going to continue saying that until Jesus comes back. He's going to keep saying, I want you back. He's going to keep asking man the question, where are you? What are you doing right now? Where are you? He wants to walk in the garden with us. And maybe one day we will walk in the garden with God again. But right now we can walk with him as well. When we have the spirit of his son, when we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, we are walking with him just like he was walking with Adam and Eve in the garden and with Israel. We can do the same thing through his spirit. That's that, that new holy life in Christ. That's that new holy life that we all should have. And part of that is, is the fact that I've got to get that, that guy right there out of, out of the way, me out of the way. This man who likes to be the center of attention or the man who likes to be the center of the universe, the one who thinks all things are created for me, that I should be weighted on hand and foot, which would be nice. I mean, be honest. Who wouldn't want to be weighted on hand and foot? Anybody here not want to be weighted on hand and foot? No? I wouldn't mind it. If you would tell my wife that, I'd appreciate it. (laughs) There I go again. I messed up already. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. Back to the old me. God's the center of the universe, not that guy, not me, not you. Adam decided, I want to do it my way. But God says, even though you decided I wanted to, you wanted to do it your way, I still want you back. I still love you. Ask yourself that question this week here, or this last week. Did you guys, even the small things, because I, I find myself thinking, I don't have to pay attention to some small things, like... Stop signs. Has anybody gotten a ticket in the mail recently from those nice little cameras that the, the state or the, the city puts up? Rolling through some stop signs lately. Stop, but no stopping any time here. Here's another one. You roll it, we'll write it. That's a good one. How about this one? Really, you got to stop. Stop signs. Sometimes they're a challenge for us. But that's, that's something that, that it's, it's, a, it's a law. I mean, you stop, right? You're supposed to stop. But I'm rolling up to there, or I'm, and I'm late, or there's nobody else around. Why do I have to stop? <laughs> Honestly. If nobody else is around, who cares, right? I don't care. I mean, how about, uh, how about traffic? You see the green, that means what? You see the red, that means... You see the yellow, that means... That's what it means. It means speed up. Get through that yellow light before the little camera flashes, right? In fact, we got somebody here that works on that, that stuff, sitting in the back over there, smiling probably right about now, because I'm sure she's seen... License plates, maybe some of ours, as she's perused the uh, the cameras there, sending out tickets to all of us. 
That, that, that's kind of what I, I think of, of laws sometimes and rules sometimes and because I am at that point traveling down the road and looking at this yellow light. I am the center of the universe. I need to be through that yellow light. I am important and where I'm going is important and this yellow light shall not stop me. And neither will the red and blue flashing lights behind me. But No, those actually would stop me probably. But the yellow light, I mean, how many times have we, have we looked at, at things in life and said, okay, challenge accepted? That's kind of what Adam and Eve looked at in the garden, too, when chapter 3 comes and the, and the serpent comes up and starts twisting God's words. And Adam and Eve think to themselves, okay, challenge accepted. Let's, let's find out. Let's find out what, what God is really hiding from us. What, what is he hiding from us? What doesn't he want us to know? What kind of good things can we get here? Challenge accepted. And that challenge ended up with, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Where are you at? Why are you hiding from me? God, from the beginning, has, has wanted us back. He wants all of this back. He wants everything back. He wants right and wrong back. Because man has turned right and wrong upside down, haven't we? We call evil good and good evil. Man has decided he wants to do it his own way. God wants man back. And that's starting with you and me. He wants man back. You and me. And that's where it starts, with repairing the relationship between man and God. Over there in Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about the repairing of the relationship. Jesus Christ set us free from something set us free from what Paul says, the law of sin and death, there in verse 2 of chapter 8. Because that man who cries out, back there in chapter 7, in verse 24, wretched man that I am who will set me free from this body of death, is that same man who can cry out in verse 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This man who has challenged has accepted that challenge, that yellow light in verse 24, and said, I, I'm going to challenge you, God, that this is not right, or this is not wrong for me, that I know better than you, that, that my holiness does not depend on, on agreeing with you and walking with you. My holiness can come from what I can do and what I can make of myself. Verse 24 says, no, you can't. It's a body of death. It's a body of sin and death there in verse 2 of chapter 8. It's the law of sin and death. You sin, you die. But Jesus Christ comes there in verse 1 and, and chapter 8 there and sets us free from that law of sin and death, that law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. What that first Adam couldn't do, the second Adam did. The second Adam set us free. The second Adam shows us the path to holiness. In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God has set you free from the law of sin and death through His Son. And has caused this, this, this fellowship again to happen through His Spirit as we walk with Him. But we could still say, I challenge you that this is not that bad. I'm going to run this yellow light in my life. I'm going to speed up here because I think I can make it on my own. But God says, where are you? Where are you at? 
Why do you think you can make that yellow light? Why do you think the stop sign doesn't apply to you? Because nobody else is around. Why don't you stop? Because I've told you to stop. I've given you the, the rules and regulations here. I've, I've kind of showed you who I am and, and what I want from you. I've told you what's right and what's wrong, and I'm asking you to agree with me. And if you agree with me, then we can walk together. We can, we can fellowship together. If you don't agree with me, then we don't have any basis to walk together. Choose to give God you. That's basically all I have to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Go over there really quickly. Paul is describing to people who have chosen to give themselves to God, who said, I want to be a part of this fellowship with God. I want to give him my life. I want to follow him. I will agree with him when he says this is bad. Even though in chapter 5 they're having a tough time agreeing with God, and Paul calls them to account for that. He's saying, you're not agreeing with God here. He's told you what's right. Verse, or not verse 6, chapter 6. He starts talking about the, the fighting between each other. And then he gets down in chapter 8, or in chapter 8, chapter, uh, verse 9, excuse me. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. So you've been in the position where you have not agreed with God, and now you're not in that position. Now you are walking with God, you're agreeing with God, because this is what you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will, be mastered by, I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take away the members of Christ to make them members of a harlot? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her? For he says the two will become one flesh. Again, he's going right back to creation. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that the body is a temple of the, Lord, of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, do what? Glorify God in your body. Glory. Bring God glory by agreeing with him and glorifying God in your body by following what he says. By giving your life to him and walking with him. By agreeing with what he says. Our new life in Christ demands that kind of holiness. Our new life demands a life that says, I'm not going to accept the challenges of that yellow light and, and run, try to make it through on my own. I'm going to slow down. I'm not going to just roll through the stop signs that God has clearly put up. I'm going to stop. I'm not going to think that I'm the, the center of the universe. Holiness begins with the creation. Holiness begins with God saying, I want to dwell with you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want to grow with you. I want you to grow with me and in me. 
Our new life demands that. It demands a whole new outlook on life. A whole new outlook on who we call Lord. It demands holiness. And those road signs are posted here in the Bible. We can read God's word and we can understand who he is and how he wants us to be and how he wants us to walk with him. It's all in here. Anybody speeding up on the yellows this next week? When you see a yellow light now, what are you going to think about? Think about that challenge that you're accepting or not accepting. About a, a challenge in your life that, that I'm, I'm not going to agree with you, God, on this. I'm going to change the, uh, change the natural order of things here and, and, and say I know what's right rather than you. All of this is, is given to us so that we can understand who God is. It's a love letter from him to say, I love you. Where are you? That same question from Genesis 3.9, he's asking here, and Paul is asking them in 1 Corinthians 6, where are you? God loves you. He's asking you to agree with him. Chapter 5, he's asking you to agree with him. Not agree with what the world thinks might be right or wrong, and even if the world doesn't think it's right or wrong, even if they're surprised by your, your immorality, that doesn't make it okay. God wants you to agree with him. And I want you to ask yourself that question this week. Can the temple of the Lord do this? If he's dwelling in me and with me and through me and walking with me, can I run that yellow light? Can I roll through that stop sign? Or am I ready to get a letter from the city of Puyallup saying, we got you, with a little video to watch too, of you rolling through the light? I, I'm, I haven't had one of those yet, and I know I probably shouldn't have said that out loud. Every time they come to the house, Laura Lang gets nervous because it's, it's her that's been caught every single time. <laughs> Not me yet. Not me yet. Oh, wait a minute. No, I did. No, I didn't. No. Oh, that, yeah, I did. Sorry, I lied. I did. I forgot about one, but it wasn't in Puyallup. It was in Tacoma. Okay, never mind. I've, I've run them too. And even if I haven't gotten caught, I've still run them. I've still rolled through the stop signs. And God is, God is asking me every time. He's saying, where are you, Robert? Why are you rolling through that stop sign? You know what I'm saying. You know what, I, what I'm asking of you. I just want to walk with you. But when you roll through those stop signs, you're hurting our relationship. You're hurting me when you roll through those stop signs. A life that lives in holiness is a sanctified life in Christ that's set apart. It's one that belongs to him. It's one that says, I agree with you. I won't roll through your stop signs. I love you. I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to be the companion of Jesus because he wants to be my companion. He wants to be my brother. He wants to walk with me. The whole aim of creation is for the glory of God. Not the glory of man, but the glory of God. Holiness begins with the realization that we're not the center of the universe, that man's not the center, that God is, and everything is for his glory. So this week, when you think about holiness, when you think about God, when you see those stop signs, when you see those yellow lights, I want you to think about God this week, and I want you to think about your relationship with Jesus Christ and your relationship with his spirit and how we are walking hand in hand with them and asking the question, can the Holy Spirit go with me here? Would Jesus... Sit with me here. Would he run this red light with me? Probably not.
So let's stop running red lights. Stop challenging the yellows. And focus on our relationship with God this week as you think more about holiness. And we begin to talk more about holiness. Ask yourself those questions this week as we stand and as we sing.